Welcome everybody to today's Intelligent Property Investor Weekly Masterclass. Why am I doing this? I'm doing it because I want to make you more intelligent about the property market. You see, the more you know about anything in the property market particularly, the better decisions you make, which means the better profits you make at the other end. So this masterclass is specifically designed to talk about what's happening in the property space here in Australia, although I do talk about international as well. Now, my name is Dimna Boholt. If you haven't heard me speak before, and if you're listening to me on any of my, uh, my channels, either on my website, you'll be able to see all of my charts. If you're listening to me on my uh, YouTube channel, again, you'll be able to see all of my, my charts and information. If you're listening to this as a podcast on either Spotify or on uh, iTunes, then uh, you'll only get the audio, but it'll still be very useful to you. And I really, really super encourage you to jump across to one of the others being probably my website, which is iloverealestate.tv. And you'll get all of the charts, all of the information, etc. So let's get into the masterclass, shall we? What are we going to be covering today? Well, the first thing is we're going to be looking at why the economy is finally out of the COVID hole. We're going to be talking about one state in Australia that's been left behind right now. We're also going to be looking at why America, <laughs> why in America, selling your firstborn won't even get you a house. That's how crazy it is over there. And why economists are saying that we should fix interest rates on our mortgages. The other thing I want to cover off on just before we close today is I want to talk about cyber security and a little bit of a warning there. Some stats that have come out recently that I think are going to shock you. It certainly shocked me and it's certainly shocked me into getting some uh, extra protection on things. So the Australian economy, let's talk about that. Well, first of all, we are well and truly out of the hole. You can see here the charts are well and truly above where we would have been if we'd just been tracking along just slightly. We've, we've, we've uh, gone back to where we would have been and more uh, if we didn't have COVID. The actual numbers are coming in, as you can see there. We've got 1.8% increase in the March quarter. Um, and that was only expected to be about a 1.5% increase in GDP. Now, GDP, remember, is the uh, gross domestic product. This is our, our measure of economic health, if you like. You know, when you go and get your blood pressure checked and all of those sort of things, well, what we do in the economy is we get the GDP checked because we're tracking along quite nicely here. Uh, on a year ago, we're up, you know, from where we were pre-COVID, I guess, we're up one1 and now we are 0.8 above where we were um, in the, uh, the fourth quarter of 2019. So well and truly before COVID was really even having an effect. Now, this is actually an interesting chart because it shows here how the savings have gone up through, uh, through COVID for households. So this is personal savings. And then they've dropped back again because people are starting to spend again, the country's starting to open up, etc. But you can see the exact reverse that's happened here. So government spendings, you know, uh, we've, we've taken a big dive there. Massive amounts of government spending's been going out. That's, this is, this is negative, negative savings, if you like, or spending, which means that they're starting to recover. So they're getting back to, you know, somewhere that's a little more manageable in the long term. And the closer we can get those two together, the better the economy is running and jobs are happening and all of those sort of things. So I'm, I'm quite confident about uh, what's happening there. I'm quite... 
buoyed, if you like, by the markets and, and what's going on with respect to um, you know, GDP and savings and all those sorts of things. This actually shows you the terms of trade. Now, this is really being buoyed along by the mining industry. So commodities are up. We've had you know iron ore up, coal up, all the rest of them up. Uh, aluminium, bauxite, copper, the whole lot. Now, we are such a heavy mining country that that has really pushed our balance of trade. So this is, this is a very healthy balance of trade because you can see here, if you go back to 1960, 1960, we were definitely in the neg <coughs> excuse me in the negative for a balance of trade, and we were right along um, even until we hit really the mining boom of the 2000s is where our balance of trade really took off. Now that doesn't mean that if we had a negative balance of trade, everything's going to be gloom and doom because it wasn't gloom and doom through the 80s. I can tell you that was a massive, massive increase, and we did get back to uh, some form of, of, you know, close to a, a net balance of trade being equal. But we're well and truly up now. Now this balance of trade is very good for us. It means we've got more money coming in than going out. That's really what it means. So we're as a country, we're in a net savings, if you like. Now, this is a little bit worrying in some respects. This is the demand for housing um, across the states. Now, some of them fantastic, as you can see. The one that's concerning is Victoria. Now, I don't know whether the Andrews government or anybody in there is actually listening to any of these podcasts, but are they looking at these charts? I mean, it, it just astounds me how... Victoria's lagging behind. Obviously, they've been hit harder with COVID. They've had more lockdowns. They've had back into lockdowns now, all of this kind of stuff. And I really, really feel sorry for any of the Victorians. But you've got a government that in times when they're supposed to be, you know, building the economy and getting it growing again, are slamming you with higher taxes. And those higher taxes are hurting big time. And what I see, and I did a, a podcast on this a couple of weeks ago, and I'm really cranky about it because, you know, the, the increase in land tax and stamp duty, that's one thing. But the increase in the windfall gain, that's a new, well, the, the new tax that they put on, if you get your property rezoned uh, because council wants more development in your area or whatever, is a 50% of the gain is going to the state government. Now, you know, th these are the types of things that are really going to affect Victoria from a growth perspective. On top of that, and this is the one that I think will hurt the most, the land tax. Now, even if you're not paying land tax and you're not an investor and, you know, you, you think it doesn't affect you because you only own your own home in Victoria, wake up. Because what it means is this tax, this new land tax or higher land tax, what it means is that in the commercial space, the land tax is typically passed on to the tenant. So it's the tenants that's going to be paying that land tax. That restricts jobs. That and at the big end of town where they've got, you know, big, um, big commercial buildings and all the rest of it, I can tell you there are already, and I predicted this a few weeks ago when the budget first came out, there's already lobbying going on from Queensland and Sydney to move those big head offices from Victoria 
to Queensland and to New South Wales because they, the cost of doing business is just lower because of these stupid taxes. Now, that's going to have a massive run-on effect for Victoria. It will cut jobs. Um, you know, if those, those big offices start moving, it's going to have a massive, massive ramification. So I'm really, really cranky about the last budget that came out in Victoria. Not that I can do much about it. Um, and more than anything, I'm really sorry for all of the the people in Victoria because it's going to have a very bad effect. And oh, I mean, I don't normally get into politics, but that man is stupid. Seriously, you know what what's happening there, and what's happening in in the the, the hierarchy of the government, and then they're being, you know. Uh, in cafes showing uh, underhand deals of developers handing over wads of money in in uh, in you know brown envelopes. Oh, this is just bad news. And it's showing here. I mean, there's an oversupply in um, units. That's one thing. There is in units in in city in the, in the city of Melbourne. There is an oversupply. Um, a little bit more, a little bit of a, a, an oversupply in Sydney, but nowhere near as many as in Melbourne. But look, but you know, this is houses and um, and units. But look at the look at the charts. I mean, that's got to tell a story. Now, am I still bullish on Victoria? Look, I am because once we open up the borders, and I'll talk about borders shortly. Once we open up the borders, uh, a lot of those people are going to go to Victoria, and that's going to create a lot of demand and other things. But um, you know, raising taxes when you're trying to to rebuild uh, a state is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. Needs his head red. This is the uh, the Westpac index is just showing here that um, you know that that we've recovered really well. Um, you know our growth has been good. We had the highest growth ever in the month of March. Um, obviously, there's got to be a come off from that because that was the highest growth that we'd had in a single month. Uh, since 1988, so 30, 33 odd years, um, was that you know, that was the month of March. So it's come off a little bit from that, but you can see here, well and truly back up into the positive. And even if you look back to GFC, you know our 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 growth rates back, we really rebounded much much more than than we did back then. So when we talk about jobs per occupation, I thought this was quite interesting to bring out. It's only just come out during the week. It shows here the. Uh, the, the the most jobs being advertised, if you like, education really blew me away. That uh, you know, there's there's a lot more jobs being advertised um, in. Uh, this is just for the month, mind you, in education, food, engineering. Now that's because uh, they were so bad before. That's really what's going on. They were so bad before. Now uh, they're starting to pick up because what's booming at the moment is right down here in construction. Now, the reason that that doesn't show such a big figure is because, uh, and I'll put it on the big screen for you, it's because we were always advertising more for construction and, and you know, the sciences and the laws and all those sorts of things, whereas we've only just started to have a bit of a rebound in the food and beverage and the education areas. So, yeah, it's good for those, those, um, those particular uh, industries. Obviously, this next lockdown is going to hurt them. Uh, for Victoria anyway. 
The net long-term arrivals, you can see, well, we crashed and burned. No one's coming home. <laughs> you know, no one's, no one's arriving in Australia because we're not getting any immigration. Um, and uh, we've actually even gone into negative. So some of those, like the students and things who were staying here before, they've all gone home. So we're actually in a negative migration um, uh, you know, uh, chart here where we can see that, that it's, you know, that's expected to, to stay for some time. Now, just down the bottom, I'm going to put on the big screen, See down the bottom here, this was in the last budget. And this shows you how the, uh, the population growth is expected to go for the next few years. So 2020-21, so that's up to June, we're expected to be negative 96,000 people. Whereas previously for the 2019-2020 year, we were 194,000 people up. Then for 2021-22 financial year, the budget is saying, realistically, we still won't have the borders open in the first half of next year. That's what that's saying. So we're negative 77,000. But by 2021-22-23, which is the second half of next year, and that's when I said that the borders would start to open, we're popping that up to uh, 95,900 uh, positive population increase from migration, then up to 2,000, then up to 2,035. My prediction is that it'll actually even go higher than that. I think we're going to see a significant increase in, uh, in population towards the end of next year because we will open up the gates and I'm telling you, there's going to be a flood, an absolute flood to come into Australia, particularly the way we've handled things. In fact, I was reading some articles the other day about the, uh, the world economists saying that Australia is leading all of the Western countries from a recovery perspective. So that's pretty good kudos there. Um, and then the, the th oh, this is a pretty important here because it talks about the regional areas. Now, there's been a lot of talk about the fact that, um, you know, everyone's having a sea change or a tree change or whatever because we can work from home and you've got Zoom and you've got whatever. Well, yes and no. You see, yes, there has been an increase um, to the regional areas. And you can see here that, uh, you know, 43,000 uh, people are, you know, is an increase into the regional areas. But this chart doesn't say the full story. And I'll put it on the big screen. The chart over on the left-hand side really shows the story because um, the light blue line is the arrivals into the regional areas. So really what you've got is only that little kick up here are the people, new people moving into the regional areas. What's changed is that the youngies are not leaving. So the departures are down, which means that, um, you know, those who would normally have moved into the cities to go and get jobs and other things, they aren't. So the departures are down, therefore the um, you know, the, the regional areas population is actually up. So it's, it's kind of, you just look at one chart and you go, oh, wow, you know, everyone's moving to the regional areas. But in actual fact, it's not. Some are, but not too many. That's that little kick up there. But the main reason is because people aren't leaving the regional areas. Okay. Let's get on to the global wrap. What's happening on a global basis? Well, Markets are recovering, you know, um, right across the world. We're starting to see decent recovery all around the world. And you can see this was obviously COVID, big crash there, but we're already back up to above where we were um, pre-COVID. In fact, we're back up to 2011 
period of time. And that's showing across the board. Um, it's showing in consumer confidence, in uh, business confidence, investment confidence. So everything is well and truly up here. So this is manufacturing, massive upswing. And actually, it's interesting, the Western countries are the ones that are leading the charge with manufacturing. So a lot of the stuff that we would have just imported from China or wherever, uh, uh, globally, there is a trend across the world to start manufacturing locally. So whether it be toilet paper or whether it be tissues or whether it be paper clips or whatever, right across the board, there is this massive trend to manufacture at home rather than have a big hub like China who handles all the manufacturing to the world. Because I think COVID was a very big wake-up call for the economies around the world, and us included, of our dependency on a country that, isn't exactly, you know, buddy buddies. We are sometimes, but other times we're not. Um, you know, sometimes we're hostile. And, uh, you know, we really need to to bring that control back so that so that we're just running our own ship. You know, we're not reliant on, um, on other countries to do that. From the US market, oh my goodness, is it moving. Holy dooly. The US property market is going crazy. And I was reading a blog during the week about, um, you know, people trying to get into the market and they're being outbid. And I mean, a lot of people in Australia are feeling this as well. But this was a, uh, I just thought I'd put this on the screen because this was, this was on a, a Facebook post. And it was by one of the employees of uh, Redfin, which is one of the, you know, property, property um, internet sites. And it says, um, it's, been, uh, it's been hard to, to convey through the antidotes or data how bizarre the US property or housing market has become. For example, in Bethesda, Bethesda, I don't even know how to say that, in Maryland, a home buyer working with uh, Redfin included her written offer with a pledge to name her firstborn after the seller. And not even that got her the house. <laughs> so not even selling your firstborn's name uh, will get you a house over there. It's such a hot market and we're really starting to see that. This chart is, uh, I love this chart because what it shows is very American. And, and, you know, North America is very much driven by the weather. We, not so much in Australia because we don't have the extremes of weather that they do in the US. Because look at the pattern of these, you know, this is the, the these are the the spring and summers, and then you have the winter, and oh, a bit of a go down, and it's happened every single time. And you look at that all the way through, and we've bucked the system here because there is such an undersupply, and uh, now there is such a demand to actually own your own home and have your own house and live your own life and not be worried about dying with COVID or whatever else. So there's a big, big turnaround with, uh, you know, with what that means. But I did really like the, um, you know, the, the, the showing here year on year, roughly how their markets go. And that's far more predictable than Australia. We don't have that predictable pattern every year, we have more of a straight line because we don't have the major weather patterns that they do in the in the US. So this is just um, house price, median house prices and how they've responded. You can see here, this is the COVID dip. This is what's happening now in the US, so a massive, massive spike. Um, but the big issue here and in, in the US is supply. They are very, very undersupplied, which they weren't in GFC. 
You know, they were in oversupply when GFC happened. They, they were in undersupply when COVID happened and Australia was the same. And this chart here is very telling because it shows you all of the years through the months um, from 2014 through to now. And you can see where, the, where the, the supply was and look how low they are now. So even though there is a lot of construction going on, in fact, you, uh, the US is pinching most of our timber, which is why there is such a shortage of timber in this country, um, because a lot of it's going through to uh, America. So even though they've got a, a housing boom and a construction boom, it's still not enough to get them anywhere near where they need to be from a supply perspective, as this chart really indicates. So let's have a look at the property market here in Australia. What's happening? Well, you probably, you know, you must have been asleep if you don't know what's happening because it's going berserk. And that's really what's showing here. This is a month-on-month -month percentage change in house prices. It's come off a little bit from the March, uh, month of March. This is a month-by-month -month change because March was the biggest month we've ever had in 33 years. So, of course, it's not going to be, you know, another one of those every single month. But these figures here really tell the story. Um, you know, the past 12 months, we've seen a 11% increase in Sydney, 5 in Melbourne, 10 for Brisbane, 11 for Adelaide, 8.5 for Perth, 16 for Hobart, 20 for Darwin, Canberra's at 15.6. But the regionals are up as well. Look at the regionals. Regional New South Wales, 18.6. Victoria, 13.1. Queensland, 14.6. Um, w, uh, South Australia, 12.4. WA, not so much in the regionals, but uh, Tassie, 18.1. And across the board, across all the capitals, we're up to nearly double digits. So what you're going to expect is there's going to be a massive um, movement of funds out of super funds and things like that into property because getting double digit returns in property, and that's just growth, let alone the, the yield that is coming from the properties as well. Um, but what, it, what this chart here shows is actually that the, it's the up end of the market. It's the higher price properties that are really driving up a lot of the, the, the median pricing. So that's that dark line there. You can see that's the, that's the high end of the market, the upper quartile, they'll call it. Middle of the market's up, but not, not as you know, massively. You can see that was the peak there for uh, 2019. This is where we are now, um, you know, which is well and truly above, but it's not where the high end of the market is because the high end of the market is always more volatile. So when things are going well, they will go really, really high. When things go badly, they're the ones that fall off the charts very quickly. So they're much more volatile than the middle of the market or the bottom of the market. The bottom of the market is actually the one that is the, is the least affected um, because there's, there's always affordability issues. So it's the one that's going to be a little bit more mainstream. But even at the low end of the market, we're still seeing um, upward surges there. But it's the top end of the market that's really pushing up the median house prices across the capitals particularly. This is listings and look, red, 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 red. That means we don't have enough listings. We simply don't have enough stock um, to meet the demand that's there. And we are still chewing through the demand, which was cut off between 2017 and mid-2019 because of APRA squashing the banks and we couldn't borrow. So everybody wanted to buy property, but they couldn't because we couldn't borrow. Um, and again, this uh, again tells the story here of listings. Listings are down, down, down. So this is what we're seeing, more and more of that.
Credit is up though, so we're starting to rebound from a credit perspective. Um, the red one is the investors are back. The, the, uh, the green one in the middle is the average of the two or the, the median, the total. And then the blue line is the owner-occupier. So it's really very mixed. And I, one of the things you look at from an economics perspective is when you've got the, um, the blue line being the owner-occupiers higher than the investor line. So it's not just speculation. Now, let's go back to 2016, see that massive increase in investor market. Most of that was driven by the um, international buyers and it was all speculation. And that really drove things up. And that's when we had that downturn in the market, um, particularly in lending, mostly imposed by APRA, but also the fact that we stopped lending to the, the foreigners. But you can see there how that drove up to the first time we had um, investor loans higher than owner-occupier loans, and that's not normally the case. The last time we did it was back in uh, 2015. So again, speculation. But that's not anywhere where we are at the moment, so it's not being driven by speculation. Uh, this chart shows you um, the, uh, you know, the, the median line, if you like, for, for houses. Uh, the blue line is the apartments. This one here is the housing market. Um, and the uh, you know it just shows you how the approvals are up. So we're starting to get more and more approvals, which is good, but it's certainly not um, anywhere near what they need to be. And the councils are really over overrun. I was talking to um, well, the head of the building department here in uh, on the coast, and uh, you know he was saying through through COVID they were considering you know reducing staff and things because there just wasn't any approvals going through. Whereas now, because of the builder's boost, they are just run off their feet. They can't keep up with everything that's going on in the, uh, you know, the, the approvals. Um, something that came out during the week from the Financial Review was that uh, borrowers are being urged to fix their interest rates because the lenders are starting to creep their fixed interest rates. So the lenders are seeing that um, over the long term, they're going to creep up their interest rates, whether the whether the um, RBA actually increases their base rate or not, they've made a conscious decision that they're going to start increasing their, their rates to get better margins. The other part of that is that uh, the RBA has said that they will back all of the lending at the 0.1% through to the end of June of this year. Uh, which is obviously running out pretty soon now. Um, so the banks are then starting to look at, okay, well, we need to buy money from the, you know, the international, the global base of funds, not just from the Reserve Bank of Australia. So we're going to have to pay more, which means we're going to have to start creeping up the interest rates. But, uh, you know, as far as lending uh, rates are concerned, you can see that both owner-occupiers and um, and homeowners, invest, investors, sorry, and owner-occupiers, you know, we're well and truly up into the positives, which is a good thing. That's a CBA chart you can see there. So, you know, it is time to move. It's time to get excited about the market. Um, you know, if you, you haven't already jumped into the market, I'm very concerned about some of the rubbish that's out there in the market, particularly the off-the-plan apartments and the rental guarantees that are being offered because remember when you've got a rental guarantee uh, you're paying for it you're paying a higher price up front so that they can set that money aside to pay you your rent so please don't get trapped into any of that rubbish you are much better to have land content if you can even if you have to rent vest to get the land content 
uh, because then you can do things with it. Now, I've set aside some advisors to talk to you about your movements forward. Um, and I think it's really super important that you take up one of those appointments. So if you're listening to this, what you have to go to is iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions forward slash. And I've, uh, there's a few advisory uh, appointments there. I'm calling them the breakthrough sessions so that my advisors can talk to you about where you're at, what you want to do, what you want to achieve, um, and uh, you know, give you some suggestions about what that might look like and how we can help you. Now, I don't sell real estate. Remember that. I'm not selling real estate. I don't sell real estate. I'll educate you on what you need to do, but I won't sell you real estate. I think it's fundamentally wrong for me to teach you how to do things and then go, oh, look, I've just got one of those and it's $40,000, $80,000 overpriced, which is what all the marketeers do. So if you're being corralled into a seminar to sell properties, understand they're forty dollars to $80,000 overpriced. Now, something that came up during the week, and I, I was shocked because I was talking to a mate of mine. He's actually my builder, and, or one of my builders. And um, he was telling me about a cyber attack that he had on his bank account. Now, this is going to shock you. Uh, he actually had $250,000 or two hundred sixty, I think it was, $1,000 stolen out of his bank account because a hacker had got in and hacked his internet banking. This is really, really super serious. Now, he is in Australia. I'm not talking about, you know, some somewhere overseas. This is in Australia. So I was looking at some of the alarming statistics on this. So in 2019, it was recorded that the entire world lost around two trillion US dollars in cyber attacks. Now, this is more money than was lost in national disasters worldwide. The estimated damages are expected to be uh, for 2020, 2021, uh, to, to 2021 are expected to be around about six trillion dollars. There is a hack attack occurring every 39 seconds. Are you scared yet? Small businesses make up 43% of the attacks. Now, this is generally because they are less protected and therefore they're an easy mark, uh, much easier than some of the big companies. 28% of adults use the same password for their different accounts. This is a big no-no. If hackers learn your password, they can then, it's a one-way ticket to all of your accounts. So please don't use the same passwords for your accounts. Now, the more accounts you have, if you've got a shopping account and you've got a PayPal account and you've got a, you know, I don't know, a Rip Curl account or a whatever account you've got with all of these uh, shops around the place, please, please don't use the same password as your banking or your um, your PayPal or your anything that's of any kind of importance, your, your email, your Skype, your Zoom, your, any of that stuff. You must, must, must be separate, different passwords. Because I was probably one that was a little bit more lax than others in this department. But uh, after hearing about this, this uh, attack on my mate of mine, I'm very, very serious about it now. So make sure that you are taking this seriously. 
Over 60 million Americans, because it's American statistics, have had their identity stolen online. The more websites you sign up to, the more times your character is displayed on the web. This gives hackers more access to your personal information, so always try to avoid using your real name, address and number. Oh, <laughs> crazy, right? 72% um, of cyber attacks uh, affect companies with less than 100 uh, employees. So 72%, if you've got less than 100 employees, 72% of you are likely to get attacked from a cyber attack and a hacking. Um, small businesses, 50% there, and the average amount taken from a small business is $188,000. Now, I don't care how wealthy you are, having that kind of money slipped away out of your bank account or out of your online trading or whatever else is, is you know, big time, hard, hard times. So please, please, please be careful. So as far as the market's concerned, please be careful there as well. There's a lot of rubbish out there and I want to help you with that. I want to get you educated so you know what to do because the more you know about anything, the better decisions you're going to make. So I hope today's been very informative to you. I want you to take up one of those breakthrough sessions. So the details are all here. Um, or you can go to iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions forward slash. They are free. They are an hour long. Um, you'll lock in a time. Please turn up on time. Don't waste my advisor's times when you're not turning up and they do. Uh, and make sure that you are, um, you know, you're, you're going, you're doing the very, very best you can in an era of time where this is unprecedented. We have got a, a, a very crucial era of time right now that you can seriously make some very big, big returns. But you've got to take action, but you've got to take smart action because dumb action is going to put you backwards and dumb action, trial and error, is not going to serve you. You can't afford to be doing that when times are good. You simply can't afford to be making mistakes. So take up one of those sessions. They're free. Um, they're the real estate breakthrough sessions with one of my advisors. They're 60 minutes long. Jump onto iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions forward slash and block one in for yourself because they are limited. That's it for me this week. I hope you enjoyed our intelligent property investor weekly masterclass and I will be back next week to share some more stuff with you. And Send me in a, a you know send me in what you think. Put it in the comments. Do what you do. Uh, let me know what you think, and let me know whether you're enjoying things. And if you want me to cover anything specifically, hey, I'm happy to do it. Bye for now.